Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Mental Health Check-In with Talik. Today, I have a special guest, my brother, Ronald McCray. How are you doing, my brother? I'm pretty good, Talik. How about you? Doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you for saying yes to coming on our podcast. I know it's hard sometimes for men to be open and honest about myself, but I thank you for being a guest today. I'm appreciative for the invitation. So my first question for you, I ask this question to all my guests that comes on. How is your mental health? Um, that's a good question. I think, I don't know if I can, I'm, I would say I'm a man who's very in touch with his emotions and, and feelings. And so I don't know if I could, just quantify my mental health and say oh it's good or oh it's great I would say that um some days are better than others um as a man who um is a overcomer of sexual trauma I'm realizing more and more how those traumatic experiences affect me into adulthood and so in understanding that uh the impact um, it kind of informs the way I live life. It informs the way that I interact with people. And so I am forced to confront um, issues related to my mental health. Um, sometimes I may have anxiety like all of us do. Sometimes I may wrestle with depression um, as all of us do. Um, it's a very much of a journey. Um, and the more that I open myself to being present with my feelings, with myself and understanding myself internally, I can begin to like pick apart the web that is or can be mental health. Um, so I was, I don't know, like I said, I can't say it's, oh, it's good or it's bad. Like, you know, it's, um, it's, I don't even know the perfect way to explain it. Yeah. Um, I, if I could say it this way, um, at this juncture of my life where I am presently, I would say that um, if I feel that my mental health is more healthy um, as opposed to previous years, um, as I've grown in my ability to be honest with myself and my ability to be honest with God and with others, it's freed me to be able to, um, to feel and to heal. And so that has paved the way for me to be on a progressive journey of having a more healthy state of mental health thank you my brother for that um answer there's no right or wrong answer you know i like to ask that question because um i feel like like we ask in today's world we say hey how are you instead of asking that i feel like we could say hey how's your mental health you know i feel like that opens up a dialogue to a deeper you know answer or conversation and stuff like that especially with men because you know you know the stigma a stigma, you know, we can't, they say we can't be weak, we gotta be man up, we gotta be strong. And my next question for you is like, what do you say, what do you think about that stigma surround that surrounds men's mental health? Um, as it relates to 
um, men having to be portrayed as strong and that weak in that context? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Um, I think that, so when I was a little boy, I was told by my father that um, essentially that men don't cry. And so I was a very sensitive little boy. I would cry at the drop of a hat. And my dad didn't like that. And I don't think I really saw my father cry much at all. And so I began to like absorb my tears and just like internalize my emotions because I didn't want to be betrayed as being weak or soft uh, because I was pretty used to that narrative being assigned to me anyways in the con in other contexts. And so I kind of adopted that mentality as I grew older, uh, whereas it was very hard for me to express my emotions, hard for me to be vulnerable with people and cry. Um, I would say that at the age of 35, I am still wrestling with that, but I've, I've come a long ways in terms of my ability to emote with people. Um, but I do feel that um, it's a very unfair, um, unrealistic bias that men are labeled with, that we have to be these hard, um, being species that are incapable of expressing emotion or feeling weakness because I found that weakness is a strength. Weakness is not a sign um, that something is wrong with your manhood. And, you know, as I talked about earlier, giving yourself permission to feel um, and to talk about your emotions is an absolute strength. Um, being able to go to therapy um, to unpack some of the things that you feel like all of us experience life and none of us um, have the ability to turn off our feelings. We all feel, whether we express it or not, whether verbally or non-verbally. And so um, I personally tear down that stigma by being intentional about communicating, um, communicating vulnerably with men. And I find that in doing, like in doing so and opening myself up and saying, hey, I feel depressed today. Like um, I feel you know, anxious today, or um, I wrestled with suicidal thoughts frequently. Um, and, you know, and being able to say that out of my mouth and not to just friends and also opening up, up to my wife and letting her know that I had wrestled with um, suicidal thoughts since we've been married. Uh, that was a scary thing because this is a woman that I'm opening myself up to in this context because in the context of marriage, a lot of times we as men feel like we have to be the rock. Um, but me personally, um, I understand that I need to be weak and vulnerable too. I need safe spaces to be able to do that or to be that as well as all of the men that I talk to um, who are leaders of their families, who are leaders of their churches and, and their professions. Um, they are, they can be very weak and vulnerable too, and want to know that it's safe to be that and not to be judged. So, um, there are a lot of stereotypes and biases about men that I think we have the ability to tear down, um, as it relates to our decisions, um, and how we approach life. Thank you for that. Um, my, since you mentioned suicide, um, you know, and thoughts and everything, I'll just say anybody out there that's struggling with any thoughts of suicide, there is a suicide prevention lifeline that you can dial. Um, the new number is 988. If you know anybody that's struggling, if you're struggling with any thoughts, you know, just make sure you call that number, get into um, community therapy, just call 
somebody, you know. Um, my next question for you, um, growing up, was it okay not to be okay for you? Um, that's, that's an interesting question. So I don't think I've ever had a conversation with like my parents about them giving, like encouraging me to give myself permission to not be okay. Um, I don't, I think, I think my parents, parents hit from the best perspective that they could of the parenting tips that they inherited, whether that was through observation of their parents and um, uh, consequently or subsequently they parented me in that way. Um, I think a lot of unhealthy habits were passed down to me. So I kind of mimicked what I saw maybe my mom do and my dad do. Um, My mother didn't talk much about her feelings. Um, And so we didn't have a lot of sit down conversations about like, Ron, how do you feel today? Um, So I just kind of went into my room and my mind was my secret world, my thought life that nobody else knew about. Um, So as a young kid, as a little boy growing up, um, trying to figure out who he was, what his identity was. Um, I just had to live out life despite the war that kind of took place in my mind and in my body um, as a result of the trauma, as a result of um, periods of fatherlessness, um, as a result of um, impoverished, um, being a product of impoverished environments and having to uh, grow up and dysfunction and um, having to figure it out myself. So I can't really say that I thought it was okay not to be okay at that age. If I could speak to the, the little boy that I was now as an adult, I would, I would absolutely tell him um, it is okay not to feel okay. It's, it's normal. Um, and it is safe to be able to communicate how you feel and you won't be criticized and you won't be judged because of what you feel in the moment and what you feel doesn't define you. What you feel is not necessarily reality. And so even as I have a son now, he's three years old, um, my wife and I are very intentional about teaching him how to um, communicate, like as it relates to emotional regulation, like he's a a kid that has really big emotions and he doesn't always know what to do with them. So it might come out with a yell or a scream or a kick or whatever. And so we're teaching him how to put words to what he's feeling. Like, what are you feeling in this moment? That, you know, if, if mommy or daddy says something that you don't like, it's okay to tell us. If somebody, you know, makes you feel uncomfortable, it's okay to speak up and say it. If you're having a bad day, um, you know, it's okay to say, mommy, daddy, can I have um, some time to myself in the quiet corner? And so we're teaching him early on how to handle those emotions and that when you're not feeling the best, it's normal. And we're not going to discipline you or be upset with you because you don't feel okay. Um, and for the rest of our lives as human beings, we will always have moments where we don't feel our best. Um, but it's critical that we acknowledge it, that we sit in what we're feeling and process it, process it in a healthy space so that we can work our way out of it and it not be a continual thing that we live in where we never feel okay. Thank you for that, man. That's so deep, so deep, so true. 
Um, my next question, well, not question, but I want to let you, I want you to elaborate, um, you know, our brother is a survivor of sexual abuse. Can you just tell your story, not the full story, but just like share like what happened to you? Yeah, so um, starting at the age of maybe seven, seven years old, I became um, a victim of um, sexual molestation, uh, older relative, male relative. Um, he and his two friends uh, introduced me to sex through porn. Um, they were probably about four to five years older than me. And, um, you know, they would take turns uh, performing sexual acts on me. And uh, like, it wasn't just isolated to one experience. It, it went on for some time um, where they kind where they sexualized me. They opened my eyes to, to sex. They, you know, were my first point of sexual reference. And so uh, incest was the door opener for me for sexuality. And so I, um, you know, remember being told not to, not to tell anybody. And so I just kept it to myself. And at the time I thought what was happening was normal or that, you know, it must've been okay because this male relative who was present, I looked to for safety and security. Um, so although I felt like it was okay, um, I do remember feeling like guilt and shame associated with what happened. And I internalized that guilt and shame and I felt that um, it was my fault. And so as time went on and the sexual molestation continued, um, I felt I noticed that I started to desire these experiences with other men. Um, I was uh, sexually harassed at the age of 15 and nine months at my first job um, at a fast food chain restaurant in DC. It's an older male cook who's somewhere in his 60s, old enough to be my grandfather. And he would make sexual advances at, uh, toward me. And um, when we were in the kitchen of the restaurant, he would um, pass by me and rub his genitals on me and make sexually suggestive comments toward me and belittle me because I would not um, feed into his advances. And um, I was raped at the age of 16 by a man. Um, it was an experience that started off consensually, um, but he did not respect my uh, decision not to go further in the act. And he forced himself um, on me and forced himself inside of me. And I, it just felt like something inside of me just like snapped, like broke. And I just kind of like lost myself in the moment. I just like shifted that experience to the back of my mind. Um, just like I did when I was seven years old. I just kind of um, pretended as if it didn't happen. I put my clothes on and, and left out and got on the bus and went home and just went about life. Um, and um, man, I've, I've experienced sexual trauma more times than I can count on both hands. And so I don't, I, I can't even go into details of all of the experiences, um, but it, I didn't even, I don't think I realized at the time, like what had happened to me, like sexual trauma yeah. changes you. And until I learned what, the like short-term and long-term effects of individuals are that experience sexual trauma. I just thought like I was just living life. 
I thought yeah. the sexual promiscuity was just me enjoying my sexuality, not realizing that that is um, uh, an effect of uh, people who've experienced sexual trauma. And um, I was very distrusting of men, um, like male supervisors um, on my jobs. Like I would feel very like sweaty when they will come close and they would have no sexual intentions at all. They were just like showing me how to do the job and I would clam up and start sweating. And I couldn't really explain it. And like, I always had like issues with male authorities. Um, when I was in school, I never got along with my male teachers. I was that teen who would cuss the teacher out and end up in detention or get sent home. Um, and I never can, I would never connect the dots. Like I had no reason for, it. I just thought that this was me. Um, yeah. I skipped my whole ninth grade year of high school when I was drinking and smoking and just hanging out with the wrong crowd. And like, I barely passed high school and, um, it's, and it was just because of the conglomeration of all of the dysfunction in my life and had no outlet to be able to tell someone uh, what I was living through. Um, I tried, I, I, I lived in a normalized dysfunction to the best of my ability. Um, I wrestled a lot with suicidal ideation and not wanting to live. I wrestled a lot with depression. Um, I didn't see myself as having value uh, or my perception of self-worth was very flawed, which is why I believe it was so easy for me to just give my, my body away to sexual promiscuity. Um, yeah. And so it was, you know, years of a journey of living out my brokenness, not realizing that I, that I was fractured um, until one day God opened my eyes and told me um, that he had a, a better way for me and um, that he desired a relationship with me that would change my life. So that's a little bit of um, my background of sexual trauma. Yes. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for that. But I know for some guys it's not, it's hard, especially me being, you know, a sexual abuse survivor, you know, just reliving, talking about it again. So I thank you um, for that. Um, my next question for you is, um, so Ron is an author, you know, of a book called well two books right is is the first one yeah. is um mm -hmm. god is god who he say he is mm -hmm. and the second one is um echoes let's can you talk about both of them books like what made you you know your own personal but what made you want to do that and what made you want to be a part of echoes yeah so my first book is um as you mentioned is called is god who he says he is and this uh, that book is my autobiography um, of my journey of uh, faith and finding uh, reconciliation for my sexuality um, that was a branch off, I, I believe, of my sexual trauma, um, that I was on a, a journey of, you know, again, of, of reconciling. I talked a lot about like the trauma and how it impacted my life and my upbringing. Um, I go a bit more in detail in one of the chapters of the book and it's called Hashtag Men Too. Um, and it really just chronicles my life and the journey that I have been on for the past 13 years of discovering God in my brokenness and my heart really asking the question of, is the God of the Bible really who he says that he is? Can he really heal broken people? Yeah. Um, does he really, um, you know, transform people's lives through his gospel? 
And so this question uh, or the telling of my story was an effort of me um, essentially answering the story from my life journey to say that he absolutely is. Um, and so that's, um, that's that book. Uh, Echoes is a multi-author book of a um, number of different men, probably 15 plus authors from all different walks of life uh, who are all survivors of sexual trauma, um, telling their stories um, in the most honest of detail. Um, it's a very liberating book. I know you, as you mentioned, it's hard for men to be able to tell their stories. So some of the stories are anonymous, but some of them, um, yeah. the authors do identify themselves. But the book, I feel like when I read it for the first time, uh, I feel like it gave vocabulary for so many men who are suffering in silence and have yet to put into words the details of their journey. It has just been something that has lived uh, inside of them. But in th these men, if, of us telling our stories, we're able to give tools for other men to be able to tell someone, hey, this is what happened to me. Yeah. And really the, the goal um, that we strive um, for is to help men begin their journey um, of healing. My close friend, um, Robert Marshall, has a quote that says that healing is the journey and wholeness is the destination. And so we endeavor to help men to begin that daily journey of healing uh, toward wholeness. And whole, wholeness looks different for everyone. It doesn't look the same. Um, but if we can help someone to um, take the step forward to addressing their trauma, be it through therapy, be it through faith, be it through faith and therapy, uh, by whatever means it comes, that we can help help them to heal. Uh, there are so many people suffering in silence. We've never uh, told anyone. And anyone who's familiar with, you know, again, some of the long-term effects of being a sexual trauma survivor um, is that it can have significant impacts on one's life. And so um, me deciding to be a part of this project, this book, was a means of me using my voice to um, to make to give way for another man to heal, to open the door for another man to um, to step into um, their own healing, and so it's absolutely been worth it, you know, and being a part of it and just um, connecting with so many men who have reached out and said, you know, Ron, me too, you know, I've I've been there and I've never told anyone. Like I've had men in their sixties reach out to me, women in their of advanced in age and have told me, I've never told anybody but you, but I was sexually traumatized when I was a child. Um, and so I'm able to connect these people with resources and uh, walk a lot alongside some of these people on their journey as they're attempting or endeavoring to make sense of uh, what has happened to them and what next looks like in terms of seeking out um, healing on this journey. Wow, that's so good, um, guys. Um... I like what you said, wholeness looks different for everybody. You know, it's a gem right there. So everybody, just uh, make sure you go on Amazon, you know, check out his book, his guys who he said he is, and the book Echoes, man. I read that book, everybody, that, but that book is like, I'm, okay, so like before, I didn't know about Echoes and Note the Survivor Circle. Um, I thought I was just alone. So reading that book, it was just like amazing to have brothers, you know, different backgrounds, different color, whatever, you know, that went through the same thing that I went through. You know, I didn't feel alone. 
So read that book, guys. Just make sure you pick that, that book. It's people's stories, but it's also informational too. Um, make sure you guys pick up both of them books. Support, support, support. So my next question for you is, um, you know, there's a lot of coping skills for people's mental health, but do you have any coping skills for men that, you know, struggling with sexual abuse? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, in my network of friends with men, one of the things that I find to be most therapeutic is um, vulnerability, the power of vulnerability. Uh, it really has the ability to heal us. Um, I've talked with some of my friends about things that they may have never told anybody else, let alone even their own spouses. And so, excuse me, to be able to be a safe space for our brothers is vital. Um, I would say that vulnerability is life-saving. We need more safe spaces among men. And so I, when I think of, like when I think about how I used to cope with life, I used to cope with alcohol. I used to cope with sex. Um, yeah. I used to cope with drugs. I'm, I'm sorry, not drugs, um, with uh, partying and um, and other things as well. But, you know, since I've, um, you know, been a, in or had this relationship with God where I've been trying to do things um, differently and uh, opening my heart to him for him to help me to heal uh, the way that I responded to um, the pain has been through prayer and uh, and inviting him into those areas of my heart that are still sore that still hurt Um, and and talking to to God about it like I had to break down that barrier that I had with him because I was angry with him um, because I felt like if he was so good and so powerful then why didn't he stop me from being abused um, and it took me years to overcome that hurdle that I had between he, uh, he and I, um, because I blamed him for something that he wasn't responsible for. Um, and what, where the, the blame really lied was with these broken, broken people who in turn broke me. Um, so I, um, I, I also go to therapy. I have a therapist and have had, a ther- I've been in therapy for the past few years, um, which has been extremely helpful. I think uh, therapy is a, a great uh, place to start. It's, the person is anonymous. Well, not anonymous, anonymous in, in the sense that they don't know you, you don't know them. They're not gonna take what you say and tell somebody else, but they are a safe space. They have to be a safe space and cannot uh, disclose your information. Um, and so that is a huge stepping stone toward um, a person healing. So um, I, my actions, my thought process about uh, responding to the trauma has not so much been like um, coping per se, but action, uh, steps that are, uh, that are actions toward healing because I could easily self-medicate some way and put a bandage over the pain and the pain just remains. And I don't take the bandaid off and allow it to heal. Um, And so I feel like we as men need to take the bandaid off. So the wound can heal. So the the air can touch it. um, So the scar can form. So the skin can 
uh, restores pigmentation. Um, So, and that, you know, again, can come through different means, some of which that I just talked about, and I'm sure other listeners have other things that they do that help them to, you know, manage the journey. Um, But what I would say as a, um, you know, encouragement is don't get stuck like within yourself. Don't get stuck with that inner narrative that says, I should just like give up. I should like, um, it's not worth it. Like it will never get better because that's a lie. It, it can get better. Um, it's work. Healing is work. And I think um, the reason why we are afraid of the work is because it causes us to, um, to, to go back to the events that happened to us. And if we never heal from us, uh, excuse me, if, if we never healed from those events, then we become in touch with the emotions that we felt when it occurred. Um, I was reading in a book called The Body Keeps the Score and the author highlighted that for trauma survivors, um, what's actually the most difficult part is not per se the trauma itself because the trauma had a start time or you know, in a time that it ended. But as it relates to like triggers and flashbacks, those can be constant. And so it's like, we're constantly reliving the trauma and our body is constantly going in and out and fight or flight or freeze. Um, And so we have to do the work of, um, you know, going to those places and experiencing healing so that um, as we reflect or remember, it doesn't have the same effect on us. And then we can essentially unfreeze from those moments in our lives and begin to move forward. Because if we don't do the work, it's almost as if we become a hostage to our past, a hostage to the trauma. Um, But we don't have to be like those chains can be broken and we can be released um, to be free men. Um, We don't have to live with the banner of being a survivor over our lives. Like we can be thrivers and thrive in life, thrive over the trauma, conquer it. Um, We don't have to become a statistic um, because of our trauma, um, but we can, you know, have new life. And that's the whole reason why I share my story um, is to tell men there's hope for life beyond the trauma, um, that you don't have to be a victim. Like you, you don't have to, that, like speak that over yourself I am not a victim (laughs) I'm not saying that to you Tully but I'm just saying like whoever's listening say that over yourself I'm not a victim like um I'm I'm I I was victimized at a time in my life but that is not my identity um I am an overcomer every day that you live this life you are overcoming making steps towards your healing and like I said that could be therapy um And that could be your relationship with God. It could be both. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Uh, Whatever means that you're taking toward healing, um, let that be your narrative. Let that define you. Um, So yeah, I'll stop there. I'm rambling a bit. Well, I want to say in 2023, I am not a victim. I'm going to say that. So (laughs) that is for me to say, and I thank you for that. my next before we end this i want to um teach other listeners so, like what you got going on what's going on with you like what's going on in ryan's world what's going on yeah so i'm preparing for some um, pretty big ventures um in 2023 um as it relates to you know branching out more and more into um this 
um, arena of helping men to overcome sexual trauma. Um, I'm also a, a singer, songwriter, and um, in the works of working on my EP. Um, I have a, uh, my next single is called Finally Free. And I really believe it's gonna be um, an anthem for survivors um, as we've been talking about who are on this journey of, of healing toward the destination of wholeness. I really hope it inspires people to continue to fight for their freedom because this walk can be a fight, man. It really can, it's not easy. Um, so that, and um, yeah, just, um, it's just I, I'm wearing a lot of hats these days, yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to you know find balance with it with it all. But um, I'm excited to be able to share, um, you know, from my heart, um, whether that's through more books, music, and what have you, uh, means by which um, the door can be open for men and women to be able to heal. That's the I can't wait for all them good things to happen my brother and i just want to say thank you again for coming on the podcast and you know just speaking your story and just helping us you know with the mental health questions really i really love you brother and i really appreciate you and stuff like that and i thank you for all you have you know done for me you know if, you know speaking over my life just talking did it to me when i wanted you to give up on me you didn't give up and i just really appreciate you brother it means it means a lot it means a lot I'm grateful to be here, man, and to be able to encourage you and appreciative to be invited to be on the podcast and hopefully something we said tonight inspires hope for someone. So thank you again and love you too, man. Thank you.